Hello. We're really glad that you've taken out some time to spend with us as we discuss spiritual things, and we certainly hope all is well with you. My name is Ethan. I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And today we're going to conclude our conversation we've been having for a while about reconnect and the importance of reconnecting with God and each other. We've been talking about reconnecting because people have been made for connecting. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God said to make man in his own image, after his own likeness. And we can see in scriptures like in John chapter 1 and verse 1, chapter 17, verses like that, that when we look at God as a unity, his unity is not based in being one person, that God is three persons who are so unified that we can speak of him as a singular. And therefore he shares in relational unity. And that indeed, in Acts 17, 24-20, has been made to seek after God. That it is not good for man to be alone, in Genesis 2, and verse 18. And that man was made for relationships. We see that very clearly in the relation between a husband and a wife. And in a very similar sense, we are made for relationship with our children, with our family, our friends, and with the God who made us. As God is one in three persons, one in relational unity, so we as individual people seek after connection with God and with each other. And that sounds wonderful and, and great, but as we've been discussing, our big challenge is the alienation that we all experience because of sin. And that's terrible, and, and it's a terrible situation in which to find ourselves. But thanks be to God, and this is part of the good news of through Jesus, that in while we were yet in we're still weak, while we were sinners, Christ died for the other brother. That through Jesus we have the opportunity to have find that reconnection ultimately in the church. The church is always supposed to be the place where people come together in the name of Jesus. Even though the world would have all kinds of reasons to be divided between uh, each other because of, of ethnicity, class, race, religion, sports teams, geography, all sorts of reasons. What Christians are to share in Jesus, that shared faith, is that might divide them in Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. This is God, the eternal life of Christ Jesus, which is manifold in Ephesians 3, verses 10 through 11. Does that mean that the people who make up the church are perfect? Far from it. They are imperfect and always in need of forgiveness in 1 John 1 and verse 9. But the church is where people are to share in life together, reconnect with God and with one another, to the praise of God in Christ. This is what we can see in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, the idea of the body together. And as we're with God and each other, we're really looking to find love chapter four. As God is love, we love because God is love. And that we are to love one another because God has loved us. In Romans five, Colossians chapter three, God has accepted us despite our imperfection, our failure through what Christ has done for us. And just as we are to, we are to despite ourselves, we are to accept one another, many times despite uh, how we treat one another, uh, seeking to help everybody be the person that they all uh, should be. In Galatians chapter 6, the idea of marrying one another is fulfilling the law of Christ. 
that we, as God sustains us with His uh, support and everything that we have, we ought to support for God and to trust upon Him and also support one another. And so all of these things It's hard to provide a lot of very specific answers because the way that love and acceptance and support is going to look is going to be different based upon each individual and their situation and the, in the congregation in which they're in. But there's one very important component to all of this that that weaves through all the things we've discussed and support continues on. And that is the, uh, the fact that we seek this kind of connection and reconnection continually. And why is that? Why do we want to be connected continually? Well, because that's what a healthy relationship is. A healthy relationship is not one where it, it, it only happens infrequently. Um, marriages, for instance, that have uh, spouses who rarely see each other ultimately fail very often. Because the the commitment of the relationship cannot support uh, when there's so much separation. Uh, and beyond even that, as human beings, our, our lives are not flat lines in a lot of ways. Our, li- our, our lives involve uh, a peaks and valleys. We have our highs, we have our lows. We have our good times and we have our bad times. And how we're able to cope with those up and downs in life, the vicissitudes of life. It says a lot, has a lot to do with the quality of our relationships. Do we have people with whom we can weep or laugh? And so, when we look at how can we show each other love, acceptance, and support, how does this look on a long-term basis? A lot of it has to do with giving and receiving strength. That's a very prominent way in which we reconnect with God and with each other. And that's going to be what we're going to discuss today. How do we give and obtain strength? And and what type of strength? How does strength building up and encouraging inform the work of the church and and the people within it? We begin with this idea of strength and weakness. Because no matter who we are, where we're at in life, we have our ups and downs. Back on your life in the past few months and seen times where times are great. We're healthy, maybe you prosper, things look like they're on the, uh, going well. And those are times we like. We love those times. We love when things are going well. But there's other times when we might be sick. We might experience some setbacks. We might have some challenges. And these challenges they can be emotional and spiritual. Uh, sometimes a couple, sometimes all of them. And so, really, throughout our days, we need strength. Uh, in First Timothy four eight, the idea that bodily we know very well that there are certain habits that we can get into that cause Granted, there's never a guarantee, um, but we understand that idea physically. And that's a lot harder to judge. 
judge. Yet it's very much there. It's even there in terms of displays of physical strength. If you think about sports, uh, professional, college, or what have you, uh, there are some that is obviously and manifestly physically stronger and or more talented than them. And the, the results are, are certainly uh, demonstrated. But a lot of times you've got where you have two very well-matched teams the physicality and strength. And how many of those games are won or lost partly because of better execution, or perhaps luck, but also because of momentum? Or because of grit, of toughening it out. Uh, how many times have you heard of it? Well, they just thought it was strength that it, it comes from uh, emotions and the mind and, and maybe from a spiritual source that empowers a group to be more effective or an individual to be more effective than perhaps they would in, in other situations. When we talk about this kind of comes from God the Creator and is greater than the human In Ephesians 3, 14-21, Paul makes a prayer for the Ephesians, that God will provide them with strength and healing of spirits, and that they would entrust themselves to the Creator, uh, who is able to think or imagine. It's a very beautiful prayer, and a very profound one. Because there is a source of strength imagination. We're talking about physical strength. It's a solitary strength. Even if you have a team sport, it's how each individual exercises their physical strength. But when it comes to mental, emotional, spiritual strengths, there's a lot more influence that, that happens from others. We understand that others can build and tear us down by their words, feelings, and deeds toward us. And therefore, we've got this down thing where we can derive strength from others, or we can find our strength depleted by others. Now, this doesn't mean that we should be just you know, out and tossed to and fro by the wind. There is good to develop boundaries, where uh, we can develop sort of thick skin, so to speak, uh, toward uh, the feelings and the ways people talk to us. Uh, we're going to experience rejection as Christians. We're going to experience times we are betrayed when when we're, when, we, when people are going to do lots of things to try to hurt us. And to an extent, therefore, we've got to be able to kind of shrug that off. But nevertheless, how others feel toward us and treat us do strongly influence how we feel about ourselves. And that is why the role of others maybe not as much in terms of physical strength, but in terms of emotional and mental and, and spiritual strength, can be a really strong in terms of how we function. As we've been talking about the various ways we reconnect with God and each other, we've been talking about a lot of the lies that we told, uh, and, and that we believe. Uh, that no if only people have sufficient times of distress, times of difficulty, I just need to pick myself up and go to sleep on my bed. 
down inside of me and draw strength from down deep and use that strength to get through anything and to make it completely impossible for anybody to see this is going on, to have an exterior where everything seems fine, that any demonstration of weakness would be failure. We can see this is basically a very primal thing. It's a fight or flight. The one thing you never want to project is weakness. You want to project strength at all times. And so you just got to find it somewhere or somehow. But if we want to obtain real strength, we need to reject this lie in our lives. Because as humans, we are weak and we're not able to stand on our own. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, Jeremiah cries out that it is not within a man to direct his own steps. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 23, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. None are good on their own. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, as Paul is talking about the whole armor of God, there's this constant refrain, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, that we are to withstand in the evil day through the armor of God, to stand firm, to stand, and in, in this way we are receiving the strength from God. We're strong in the Lord. The power of God is how we stand against the wiles of the devil can understand this in our own lives. By our own strength, have we ever been able to stop sinning? Maybe by sheer willpower, for a time, we can desist certain types of sins. But a lot of times when we try really hard to stop sinning, we see just how hard it is to stop sinning, and how much we really do enjoy and are enmeshed in sin. Through our own strength alone, have we ever been able to truly endure physical trials and sufferings? Maybe there have been certain things we've been able to get through by our own strength alone, but many times a lot of circumstances can just prove overwhelming to us. Uh, we can see this so many times of people who have gone through all sorts of difficulties in all kinds of environments that on their own they just they lose it, and they lose it in many different ways. While we are used to the idea that signs of weakness mean failure because of how the world works, in the kingdom of God, that's not the way it's supposed to work. And in Matthew 20, 25-28, Jesus has this wonderful discussion. He talks about it. In the world out there, the Gentiles lord their authority over others. But it's not supposed to be so among you, that in fact, the one who would be great among you must be your servant, the one who would be first among you must be your slave. A completely overthrowing uh, and inverting power structures. That the one who wants to advance the greatest needs to be the least. Which seems completely impossible, because it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7-10, through 10, Paul had to learn through the thorn of the flesh which was given to him that in Christ, power is made perfect through weakness. It is when we are weak that we are strong. It's not because actual weakness is strength, but because when we recognize our weakness, we remain humble, and when we remain humble, we put trust where we should put our trust, which is not in ourselves and in our own generation of power, but in the source of true power. It would be like having this power source of the sun available, but trying to rely instead on on power that you can generate through a wind turbine or even a nuclear power plant. It's just not comparable in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you've got to learn to stop trusting in your own source of strength and instead to put your trust in God and in the power of His might. And that requires us to entirely reorient our thinking as we approach God. We need to be humble, recognizing that we are dependent upon Him, that we require His support, as we discussed last time in, in Acts 17, 28, Romans 8, 31-39, and 1 Corinthians 8, and verse 6. 
We need to approach Him as dead to ourselves, recognizing our weakness, our failure in righteousness, and to seek His strength and His wisdom and His guidance to allow ourselves to be vessels that He can fill with His power uh, to do according to His desires, His glory, and His honor. And it's then, when we recognize our standing before God and we allow ourselves to be strengthened with His power, and that we recognize that the most important thing in life is is to be standing before Him and to receive the blessings that He provides, we can really have a good, healthy self-image. Because so much of our mental and emotional strength is tied up with our confidence, internal confidence and self-worth. Those who project strength often gain confidence, often obtain what they're seeking. Those who project weakness do not get what they're seeking. Uh, and we, you can see people in life. Maybe you yourself have gone through times where uh, you, your self-worth has, has crumbled and then other people say things that further reinforce the, the lack of self-worth that you feel and that's hard to get out of. That we can recognize that in Christ we are precious. That, that we all have our place in the kingdom of God and we all have equal standing before God. And that can be a very empowering source of confidence and self-worth that we can see in Romans 8, 39 and, and Romans 12, 3 through 8. Even if others don't see value in us, even if others uh, would, would tear us down, God sees value in us. God seeks to build us up. Now, we need to be careful that we don't take this kind of confidence in ourselves and turn into pride and arrogance, which is very easy for us to do. Uh, it's the thing that Jesus is concerned about in Mark 7, 21 through 23. Um, but when we direct our minds and motions toward the will of God in Christ, through Him we can gain the power and strength that we need in order to press on. Because God is willing to strengthen us if we will let Him. And it's a very compelling question. What if the weaknesses that we're currently uh, experiencing are not due to any kind of failure on God's part, but it's because of our own pretense towards strength and our unwillingness to humble ourselves and turn to God uh, to receive His true strength and power. Because we must remember, God is not going to force His strength upon us. We instead must to recognize the weakness and appeal to Him in order to receive His strength, as Paul had to do in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. Now, when we talk about the idea of taking oneself of my own bootstraps or to find all necessary relevant strength from deep within ourselves, this is very much tied to another pervasive law in our society, the glorification of the little. This is especially true in American society because the American society has always honored rugged individualism and a skepticism toward inherited authority. Notice superheroes. Our great superheroes in our culture go at it alone. When superheroes make an alliance, it seems contrived. And all this is very much tied with the myth of self-sufficiency and internal strength. And this is a humongous trend in society. And it's now a spiritual Because how many now profess to be a Christ follower who does not participate in the life of a local church? Now, the Lone Ranger mentality is not working life. Because let's face it, how many true individuals are there? 
most ways that people express individuality, it ends up a person being put in a certain mold or type. Uh, you, you, you rebel against one way of living, you look like you're not. No matter who you are, you look like you're in a group. If you look even like a in the free category, and the free category has certain barriers. Uh, you notice this very clearly in teenagers. They, they go for certain looks and certain styles because they're part of a group, a tribe, that has a certain look and a certain style. And that's what they're really trying to fit into. They may say they're trying to express individuality. They're not. They're expressing uh, disdain for a certain subset by adhering to another subset. And that's because our desire for acceptance and relationship proved very much more powerful than the drive for individualism. Because we ultimately all prove too weak on our own to stand. We cannot do it alone. If we could, then we would. And that is why it is said that the church is part of the manifold wisdom of God. Because the church certainly is part of the wisdom of God. If God wanted to, we could all be set out as lone Christians, without significant engagement with other Christians. God could have said, go out, But in reality, such people are then, in, in an individual sense, very open to the uh, temptation of Satan. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, there's this very compelling image that Peter has for the devil. He says, To be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Um, Resist him, he continues, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The idea of a lion is apt. If, you, if, if you've ever seen a, a, a documentary of, of lions, you see what lions try to do. They try to isolate an individual from a herd. Uh, normally they're going for a sick or weakened individual or young individual or old individual, something that will make it difficult for them to fight back. Uh, but even if you can just get one animal away from the herd, you can do amazing things. Uh, you can see a, a, a lot, an elephant a very capable elephant being taken down by a pride of lions because that elephant has been separated from its fellow elephants. And so for lions, no prey is too large or powerful if they can get it separated and alienated from its fellow members. However, when a group coheres, uh, the weakest, the youngest, can be protected, and there's nothing those lions can do about it. And the lions ultimately recognize the futility of their efforts and disperse. And so that is an extremely powerful image. Notice even there that part of the resistance devil is recognizing that the same sufferings you're enduring are being endured by people throughout the world. That you are not alone. Elijah was a prophet of God, a, a very godly person. He feared that his, for his life in 1 Kings 19. He runs to Sinai. He's running away. He cries out to God, God, they have torn down your altars. They have killed your prophets. And I, I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And what does God tell him? Among to go and do something, he says, I still have 6,000 who have not bowed their knees to Baal or, to kiss, or have not kissed him. No, Elijah, God is saying, you are not alone. That, that is the message here. You are not alone. If you are not alone, why would we expect Christianity to be something that you do alone? The whole idea of Christianity is, no, you are not alone. 
And this goes back to this whole concept that we've been talking about, the reconnect. We are made for relationship. God is one in relational unity. We, therefore, seek relationship with Him, with each other. Therefore, Christianity without community, Christianity without relationships is an incoherent mess. We are to be the people of God, and that is a community of people. And this is very important. The local church ultimately exists for man, not man for the local church. Because he is supposed to be part of something greater than himself in order to share love, acceptance, support, and to edify, encourage, and be edified and encouraged in return. Now, we're introducing some new words here, edifying and encouragement. And we're going to see how this works and why the church is really something, uh, the local church especially, is, is, is for the benefit of those who comprise it. Because one of the ways that God provides spiritual strength is through the edification and encouragement of believers, and this is seen particularly in the assembly. Now, I use these words, edification. Uh, an edifice is a building, and to edify is literally to build up. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, uh, Paul says, In the assembly, let all things be done for edification. Encouragement. Uh, you can see the word courage in there. Uh, encourage, encourage, to provide strength to. So when you think about the fact that we talk about strength, literally what we're talking about is encouragement, to provide strength. And in Hebrews 10, 24-25, the Hebrew author exhorts Christians to um, provoke one another to love and good deeds, not uh, uh, encouraging one another, not forsaking the assembling of one another, uh, as is the habit of some, uh, like I said, encouraging one another, is especially all the more as the day draws near. And so Christians are to build one another up and to provide strength for each other. And now, Brad, this is not restricted to the assembly. It's not like the only time Christians can provide encouragement and edification is in the assembly. But the assembly does feature prominently because it is a constant, continual, weekly, or more often than weekly, event in which we can provide that encouragement and edification for one another. But why? Why in the church and why particularly in the assembly? The church, as we've been talking about, is the ultimate embodiment of the people of God. A place in which people love each other, accept one another, support one another, no matter what. In Romans 15.7, Galatians 6.2, 1 John 4.7-21. How? We've been talking about this. How does this happen? Well, uh, it very well might be to think, well, if it can only happen when everybody's involved in everybody else's lives. And that's probably a little too impractical. Uh, the idea that we are to all be equally involved in each other's lives is not necessarily something that comes out of that text. But what it does show is that each person is going to be very deeply connected with some members, maybe not as deeply connected with other members, but yet still maintain a connection because of the constant presence of one another in the assembly. Yes, the goal is for every member to have strong, trusting relationships with some other members so that all can experience love and acceptance and support within the group. But you may not get that from every single other person. But we can all show each other love, acceptance, and support, among other things, through the edification and encouragement that we provide each other spiritually through the acts of the assembly. That there is this connection that we share with all our fellow Christians in the local church, not just a few in these things that we do. And that is the type of things that we see established here in the scriptures. Because the assembly is this continual opportunity to exercise joint participation with your fellow Christians. And that's 
the only way to maintain at least some level of spiritual connection among all the members of the church. And that's done through these actions that are done. And a lot of times these actions people think have become trite. They, they're trying to expand on them. They're trying to make them uh, more quote-unquote relevant to a 21st century audience. But a lot of that, it's missing the core essence of what it is that's being done and why it's being done and, and turn into something quite different than what was intended. If we go back and see what, why does God have us do these certain things when we come together, we can really understand where that encouragement comes from and that edification comes from. Remember the Lord's Supper, for instance. The Lord's Supper is that time we, where we take the body and the blood of Jesus, and the, we see it in the bread and the fruit of the vine. And we do it on the day in which he was raised from the dead as a way to remember the Lord's death, remember what he's done for us in 1 Corinthians 11, but also that we have the shared participation. It's a joint participation in the body and blood of Christ because we share the bread together. We share the fruit of the vine together. And therefore we become this coherent group, the people of the bread and the fruit of the vine, because we share in that Lord's Supper. When we give, and that's, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17, when we give, we're giving back to God as he has prospered, so that, we, uh, so that we can continue the work of God. That we can provide them for the material needs of fellow Christians, as well as evangelists and the promotion of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 16, and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. When we pray with one another, we're in one voice, laying our thanksgiving and request before God, mindful of His love, grace, mercy, and compassion toward us, and, and encouraging us to show that love, grace, mercy, and compassion toward others from 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 17. In singing, we can have these really compelling songs. Sometimes it's, a song can hit you in a way that no lesson, no exhortation, nothing else can. Speaking and teaching and admonishing one another in these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to praise God and to really remind each other who God is, who we are, what it's all about, and what we're supposed to be doing. And that's based in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3 and verse 16. Through the preaching of the Word, we learn more of God's purposes for us and how we can follow Jesus more faithfully in our own time and day. And the lessons are to be something that really help us uh, to get through the week and to strengthen us in our faith in 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. through 5. And through the teaching of the Word, we can engage in the Bible's text and or how we can live Christian lives and to sharpen and refine our understanding and to exhort others toward application of the Scriptures. That's why, for instance, the early Christian Now, God, in his wisdom, established these things for Christians to do in order to edify or to build each other up and to encourage or strengthen one another. And since it's God who established them, God will see through that they accomplish their goal. Because weekly we come face to face with Jesus, how he rescued us from our sins and from the bondage that we found ourselves in sin and liberated us to become the people of God, to be reconnected to God and to one another. We are exposed to God's message in His Word weekly in an environment where our understanding can be properly refined. We take each other's petitions before God in prayer and sing words of encouragement and hope to each other. And all these things are being done together. We share in it together. We are more cohesive as a group together because we're acting and doing these things together. Notice, if you will, what God has to say through Paul in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 about how the church should work. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful seams. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's beautiful. We see that there are roles in the church. Evangelists, uh, teachers, pastors. Uh, for for equipping saints for ministry and building up the encouragement of the word, encouragement of what the of the apostolic teaching. In Ephesians four thirteen fourteen, we see that growth happens in Jesus through coming to a better understanding of the truth, and not just an understanding in the head, but a head understanding applied in life that it changes the way we think and feel, and therefore changes the way that we act. That now we are working together; the parts of the body are working properly and together. And when this happens, the body builds itself up in love. Now, a lot of the, the way this body works happens in other contexts in the smaller scale. Individuals helping each other. Individuals strengthening each other. But how much of what we're talking about here in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 happens and is seen in the assembly of the members of the local church? This is why Christians must edify and encourage one another. And this should not be seen as a burden. Instead, it is really a great opportunity. And that's the way we're supposed to consider the time that we have with each other. It's a time for restoration. It's a time of renewal, a moment of refuge from the trials and tribulations that we will have in the world, as Jesus warns us in John 16 and verse 33. We should be looking forward to the time that we spend with each other. We should be happy about the time that we spend with one another, that time that we spend stimulating one another, loving good works, as the Hebrew author encourages us. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And we build each other up and strengthen each other through showing love, acceptance, and support, as we've discussed. And we also build each other up and strengthen each other when we come together, we participate in Christianity together, participate in the acts of the assembly in order to glorify God, and together share in participation in Christ and His Word. And so Christians should take advantage of every opportunity to build up and strengthen others, and to be strengthened and built up in return in the assembly, in other opportunities, always finding those opportunities. And they're going to be as, as varied and unique as people are, all based in the authority of God as it's revealed in Scripture, but can happen in all sorts of different ways uh, that we can imagine. So often that we hear about and focus upon all the failings of the church, how many times do people feel like it's an out-of-touch spiritual social club full of a bunch of hypocrites? A lot of people have experienced judgmentalism and condemnation, not love, mercy, compassion, and grace. It seems that the church can sometimes just be a, a, a political tool, uh, a, a weapon of intolerance, a, a, a baseball bat to bludgeon people with, and it seems easier to give up on the church and just to try to follow Jesus the best way that somebody can. And unfortunately, a lot of churches do maintain a toxic environment where judgmentalism and condemnation abounds. Hypocrisy and pretense is maintained. That traditions are elevated to the status of gospel truth and ruthlessly defended. And in such an environment, people become or continue to be alienated from one another. It's a dysfunctional place where God's love 
mercy, grace, uh, that idea of acceptance and love and support is just not able to be found. But we're not perfect. We're not perfect ourselves. And yet we seek to be loved, accepted, supported, and strengthened. We need to recognize that every church is going to be imperfect. And even though churches have their failings and their imperfections, that doesn't mean it's not important. Just like the fact that we many times screw up our relationships doesn't mean the relationships become unimportant. The church is to represent the collection of the saved in Christ. It is to represent God's manifold wisdom where people are unified in Jesus above all worldly distinctions which would otherwise separate them. It is where people should find Jesus' disciples, those who are known for their love for one another and for all men. It is where people should find acceptance despite their failings. It is a place where people can grow to trust others and to obtain support and strength from the community of God's people. Because as God is one in three persons and relational unity, humans seek relational unity with God and with one another, that we can find everything for which we've always been deeply yearning and seeking. But we can only do that when we're willing to do what is necessary to be one in the faith, as Paul exhorts us in Philippians 2, 1-4, through 4, that we seek each other's best interest in all humility, humility counting others more important ourselves, doing nothing through rivalry and empty conceit, and that is very hard for us to do. And we need to remember that in the end, church is people. And it is the people who make up the church who ultimately decide whether they're going to submit to the Lord Jesus and to foster a godly environment or whether they will continue to live in fear, to keep up pretenses, and to maintain or develop a toxic environment as a result. And that is why it is so important for all of us to resolve to be reconnected to God and to each other. Working to develop the spiritual environment in which God is praised and glorified and people can find love, acceptance, support, and strength. Yes, we're talking about ideals. Yes, ideals will never fully become reality in this life, but we should certainly try. And when we stumble, we need to get up and try again and never forget that ideal as we seek to move on, knowing that of all things, what's the most important thing in life is our relationships with God and with other people. When the world ends, everything else is going to be stripped away. What are we going to have left to show for all that we've had and all that we've done? We're so glad that you've gone and joined, joined us in this journey through Reconnect. We hope that you have been reconnected to God with your fellow man. But if you need some kind of strength or support or, or, or you need to talk about some of the things we've talked about... Uh, Maybe you have a prayer request or any way we can be of service, please let us know. Please contact me through our website at theverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Or if you live in Los Angeles area or you're traveling in the Los Angeles area, please check us out. We're online at venturechrist.org. We're also on Facebook, Google+, Meetup, and Twitter. We again thank you. Have a great day.